Open your Bibles with me, please, this morning to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can also find John chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4 and John chapter 4. We're going to continue on in our series that we began a few weeks ago on finishing strong. We're coming here to the end of another year. This one's got just a few days left. But I think it would be good for us to not just have finishing in our mind, but finishing how? Strong. I've said it to you already, but I'll say it again. I'm determined not to go limping across the finish line of 2022. I'm not going to go crawling, exhausted, worn out. I'm going to go out with a shout. I'm going to go out with some excitement, some enthusiasm, some energy. Glory to God. I'm going out of this year strong. And one of the reasons that needs to be so important to us is because it affects the way you begin what's next. 2023 uh, can either get off to a strong start or a weak start, but I'm, I'm just as determined to start next year strong as I am to finish this one strong. But what we're beginning to see is that this is really bigger than just finishing a year. When you think about life and what it actually is, the Bible says it's a vapor. It's a short amount of time. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And it's not too soon for you and I to start thinking about not just finishing a year strong, finishing this life strong, finishing the, the, the course, the plan, the assignment that God, God has for us and finishing strong. And that's somewhat what this scripture here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is all about. Paul is writing to Timothy and he said to him in verse 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. Here's somebody who's got a sense on the inside of where he's at in life and that his life on this earth is coming to an end. And he says in summation of his life and his time in ministry, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. I want us to look at that and say the, that last part together. Just what there. It's right there on the screen. Say this with me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have you say that because these are the words that every one of us need to be aspiring to. This is what you and I want to say when we get that same sense in our spirits whenever that time comes, decades from now perhaps if Jesus doesn't come sooner. We get that same sense that we're being poured out as a drink offering, that the time of our departure is at hand. We want to be able to stand up and say with confidence, boldness, and honesty, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Amen. You want to be able to say that. You want to be able to say it on your last day here and your first day there. As you look Jesus face to face and eye to eye on eternity day one, you want to look at him and say, Jesus, I fought the fight. I fought that good fight of faith. Jesus, I finished the race that you gave me to run. Jesus, I kept the faith. Oh yeah, Satan tried to rob me of it about a million times, but I held on tight. I was tempted to quit over and over, but I didn't quit. I finished it. I was tempted to bow out of that fight, but I didn't, Jesus. And Jesus will look back at you and he'll say the same thing to you that he said to Paul and millions of others. What did Paul go on to say? He said, there is a crown that's been laid up for me. That's the victor's crown. That's the victor's crown. That's the crown of victory. Glory to God. That's what we want to be wearing. And that's what we want to receive from Jesus day one in eternity. Thank you, Lord. Now, this whole series has been about finishing and finishing strong. And one of the biggest temptations you face in life, do you realize this? The biggest temptation you and I face is not the temptation to lie, the temptation to cheat, the temptation to steal. These are not the biggest temptations we face. The biggest temptation you or I or anyone would face is the temptation to stop trusting God. There's pressure being applied to you all the time to try to talk you out of your faith. Try to pressure you into stop trusting God. 
That's one of the biggest temptations, if not the biggest temptation, that you and I as believers face. And honestly, this is what this series, it's about. It's about resisting that temptation. And that temptation comes when you're tired. We got to recognize this in our lives. We have got to be more astute to this, that we are more susceptible to yielding to temptation when we're tired. And I'm, I'm talking physically tired. You got to be more awake and aware of that fact. This is when your enemy comes. He does not play fair. He does not play by any set rules. He waits until you are your weakest physically. He waits until you're, you are your most exhausted. And that's when he comes with the pressure. That's when he comes with the temptation. That temptation to stop trusting God. And that temptation comes always comes when you're nearest the end. Why? Because when you're nearest the end, you don't have the same strength you started with. If you're running a race, if you've ever run a long race, a marathon race, you don't end that race with the same strength you started with. Are you with me? Folks, this is one of the big reasons we are not to judge anyone for anything in their lives. We're not to judge somebody who, from your perspective, it, it, it looks like they failed to receive something from God. Somebody maybe who, who, who got a bad diagnosis and in a short amount of time later, they're dead, they're gone. It is not for you and I to judge that situation. Oh, if they had done this or if they had done that. No, you don't know. You don't know where they were in the fight. I know of people firsthand, people who, who got a diagnosis and man, they met that thing head on. They met it in faith, met it with the word of God and overcame and overcame and overcame. And then something else would come and they'd fight it again and they'd overcome again and again and again. And I know people who did that. And I know some of the same people who died trying to believe God. Well, it's not for us to judge what they did right or wrong. You don't know where they were in the fight. You don't know how fatiguing it can be unless you've been there. You don't know how exhausting it can be to even continue on in that fight of faith. That's not for you and I to judge. Do you think, do you think they get to heaven and Jesus looks at them with some look of disappointment? No, he understands. We're going to see that here in the word in just a moment. He understands. I think you and I could stand to be a little more understanding of people and where they are in the fight, where they are, because maybe they started strong, but the more that fight goes on, the more temptation and the pressure increases to stop trusting God. Don't ever judge anybody. Okay. But I want to, from the word, find out how, when we're at our weakest physically, to draw strength. Because there is a way. There's a way to come to the end of a year, the end of a race, the end of a project, the end of this life. There is a way to come to that and, and still be drawing on supernatural strength. Even if your physical strength is lower than it was. You and I as believers, Holy Ghost filled believers have access to a supernatural strength. In John chapter four, we've looked at this several times already. Look at it again. Verse six, Jesus was on a journey, a long journey with his disciples. And it says in verse six that uh, they were, well, in verse five, they had uh, come to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph and Jacob's well was there. Verse six, Jesus Therefore, being wearied from his journey, Jesus, this is Jesus we're talking about. Even Jesus got tired on a long walk. Even Jesus, one translation says, was wearied to the point of exhaustion. And that's what happened to him. It's what happens to us. Why? Because we got flesh. We have these bodies and these bodies have limitations. And like we mentioned several weeks ago, we start to get into trouble when we try pushing these bodies beyond their limitations. We need to get fueled up. 
Jesus, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, we've talked briefly about what happened at the well. There was a woman that came, and, and, and we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. But they had a conversation, and, and it went on here for several verses. Jesus ministered to her. But bear in mind the condition he's in while ministering to her. He's exhausted. He literally can't go any further. He's told the disciples to go into the city to buy food. He's saying, you're going to have to go get it and bring it back. I can't take another step. So he's that exhausted, wearied to the point of exhaustion. And yet he's ministering to this woman. And it says in verse 27, that this is after he's ministered to her. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled. He talked with this woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and she went into the city. She, she said to the people of the city, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They went out of the city. They came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat, you need to eat something. But Jesus said to them in verse 32, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? But Jesus said in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to come on church. What did he say? And to come on, say it again. And to finish his work. This is what Jesus woke up every day with on his mind. Forefront, foremost on his thinking. What is the will of God? How do I finish this work? And you see that in scripture after scripture. This is what he constantly talked about. I came not to do my own will, not to fulfill my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. And Jesus said, that doing the will of God and finishing his assignment on this earth, this was like food to him. See, we haven't connected these dots in a way we really need to. He said, this is food to me. And you got to remember the shape he was in just, I don't know, an hour or so ago when these guys left him. He's sitting there at that well, probably his head in his hands. He's hungry. He's tired. He's thirsty, wearied to the point of exhaustion. But by the time they get back to him, they're looking at each other going, did somebody bring him something to eat? Because evidently he's in a whole other shape now. He's in a whole other condition now. He said, I got food you don't know about. And they're going, where'd you get this food? Who brought you food? He said, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish, finish this work. He's saying what food does for your body in that it energizes you in that it strengthens you, in that it can sustain you and satisfy you. He said, you find that exact same thing in doing the will of God. What food does for your body, doing the will of God and finishing his plan for your life does for your spirit. If food energizes you, this is what this will do for you. It'll energize you. Finding out the will of God for your life, finishing your race, keeping your faith. Come on, I'm preaching this morning. Are you listening to me? This is food for you. This is food to you. It will energize. It will, it will strengthen. It will sustain and it will satisfy. That's what this can do for you. Now we've talked already in, in the earlier parts of this series about how to draw this strength. Because again, here we are at the end of the year and the temptation would be to be tired, worn out, worn down. It's been a long year. And sadly, most of the world just has to deal with that. You and I have this unfair advantage, if you will, access to strength beyond our own. And we saw in the first part of that in this series that we draw strength in waiting on the Lord, waiting on him, not a passive waiting, but a waiting as we look to him in expectation and what you find in the waiting, here's the big thing. Are you ready for this? Here's the big thing. Somebody say big thing. Here's the big thing that comes out of your time of waiting and worshiping and magnifying the Lord. It's in those moments that he can reveal to you and make clear to you what his will is. 
You see this in the New Testament, in the, in the book of Acts. It says, as they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. What came out of waiting on the Lord? The call and the assignment on Paul and Barnabas. These guys found out what the will of God was, but it came out of waiting, ministering to the Lord. And sadly, most people have no time for this. They have no time for this. They want an answer. They want it now. And God's going, oh, it's so good to see you. Come, let's, let's walk. Let's talk. God, I don't got time for walking. I don't got time for talking. I need an answer. I need a check. I need something from you. Come on, let's have it. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But there's only one way this revelation comes. It comes out of the waiting, ministering to the Lord. But after you've waited and you've ministered to him and you've looked to him in expectation and out of that comes the revelation of his will, be it his will for how you spend today or how you spend the rest of this year or how you spend the rest of your life. Once you find that, then you take this next step that Jesus shows us as an example and you say, okay, not my will, yours be done. And when Jesus said those words in the garden, you remember, we saw this several weeks ago, when he's got the greatest pressure on him, he is so, so burdened by what's about to take place at the cross, the pressure, it's, the, it's that pressure to stop trusting God. And it's on him like it's never been before. It's heavy, it's weighty, and he's on the verge of quitting. And you hear it in his voice, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. But then you hear his spirit speak up and say, not my will, but yours be done. Is there anybody in here that was glad Jesus said, not my will? I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that he did not quit in the garden. I'm so thankful that he kept trusting God. We should be eternally thankful for that. But what happened, and the scripture shows us this, as soon as he prayed that prayer, not my will, yours be done, the Bible says an angel appeared to him, strengthening him. I'm telling you, the same thing happens in your living room. The same thing happens when you're sitting there at your desk at home, the same thing happens when you're laying across your bed and you're under such tremendous pressure to stop trusting God. You're under such immense, be it relational, financial, physical pressure, and you're about ready to throw in the towel, do as David said, I would have lost heart. And you're right on the verge of that, but you cry out in faith, not my will, but yours be done. Maybe you see it, maybe you don't, but there is an angel. There's an angel present ministering strength to you. What strength? The strength to do his will. Amen. So I want to take another step further in this today. And I want to look at what else you and I are supposed to be feeding on. Because if we're lacking strength, so much of the time it's just an indicator we're not nourished the way we need to be. What else should we be feeding on that's going to minister strength to us? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Are you happy this morning? It's Christmas time. You should be happy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And let's look at verse 6. Paul, again, writing to this young pastor, Timothy, he was talking to them, talking to him about some of the things he should be teaching, preaching, doctrinal things in the church, gave him very specific instruction. And he said to him in verse six, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Notice these words, nourished, the King James says, nourished up in the words of faith. Nourished up. In what? In words of faith. He says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, if you're teaching this, if you're preaching this, you're going to be a good minister of Jesus Christ and you will be nourished up in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Words 
are a lot like food. But sadly, most people's concept of, of what words are and, and what they're used for is so shallow. They, we, we tend to think that our words are just strictly for communication purposes. If I've got an idea or a concept, I want to get over to you. I, I say it, I speak it, you hear it, you understand it, we agree or don't agree or whatever. But the words are basically just used for communication back and forth. But when you come to the word of God, you find out that words are not just tools for communicating. Words are weapons. Words carry within them a creative force. It was with words that God created the heavens and the earth. In the ministry of Jesus, it was with words that the dead were raised. It was with words that the blind could see and the deaf could hear. It was with words that the, the lame were made able to walk. And people were witnesses of this and looked through the scriptures in, in his ministry and people tried to figure this out. They would see this happen. They would, they would see, for example, a, a demon-possessed person and Jesus speak a word to this person and that demon leave this person's body and in a moment of time they're there in their right mind sound in their right mind and when people saw it they said to him and to one another what word is this it's kind of like when somebody watches a, a a magic trick they go how'd you do that i want to know how you did that what's your secret what's the trick well, people are doing the same thing to him, although only this is not a magic trick. This is genuine, real, life-changing power. But instead of saying, how'd you do that? They said, what kind of word was that? It was, how'd you do that with your word? You didn't do anything necessarily big and outward. You didn't do a dance. You didn't perform any kind of incantation. You, you spoke. How'd you do that? with your word. We got to begin to understand that our words are for far more than just communication. Words have creative power. Words are weapons that we fight with. And we see here in this scripture in 1 Timothy 4, words are like food. See, we're not connecting these dots. We will. Give it a minute. But they are like food. He said, if you'll teach these things, Timothy, if you'll teach these things, you're going to be a good minister and you will be nourished up in words of faith. Words have the ability to nourish. But words just like food are not all the same. They don't all have the same effect. Just like food, there's who knows how many different kinds of food. I mean, just in one grocery store alone, what, thousands upon thousands of, of different options? It's, it's all called food, right? But if you stop and think about it, there are some foods that will affect you one way and other foods that might affect you in a different way. Can I just get in your business here for just a little bit? <laughs> we know this, right? Now it's all called food. But we know this. This is pretty basic stuff here. We know that there are certain foods. There are certain foods that strengthen the body. There are other foods. Let's just say they don't. There are some foods that satisfy. There are some foods that sustain. There are some foods that you can put in this body when you lack energy. And these foods, because of how, how dense and nutrient rich they are, it'll put energy in that body. There's other foods that will cause you to crash so hard, right? There's other stuff you can put in this body that will not have the same effect. Now it's all called food, right? But not all food has that same effect. How many of you would agree? We would be much healthier people if we just knew which foods to receive and which ones not to receive, which foods to eat, which foods not to eat. It's having an effect on the body. Well, Paul's saying to Timothy here, he's saying you can be nourished up with words. No, words of faith. Words, just like food, have an effect on the body, but not all words 
have the same effect. As a matter of fact, he goes on in the next verse to say in verse seven, he says, but reject, reject profane and old wives fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. He said, there are words that you should be eating. There are words you should be rejecting. I I did a little bit of study on this. This word reject, it's the Greek word uh, parateiomai or something. And it literally means to reject. It means to refuse. It means to decline or to snub. It also means to decisively turn away from something. Now, I got this out of Rick Renner's book, uh, Sparkling Gems. And just a quick reminder, Pastor Rick will be here ministering to us Sunday, February 12th next year. You don't want to miss that. Um, Such an anointed man of God, such a treasure to Sarah and I, and I know you'll be blessed by his ministry. He said this in his book about this word, para, 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 para teio mai. He said, it denotes the attitude of a person who is so disgusted with something that he has resolved he'll have nothing to do with it. His feelings about this issue are so pungent that he sharply rejects what is being offered to him and vigorously any form of participation in it. That's what this word reject or refuse means. To, to turn so decisively away from it that you reject it. You want nothing to do with it. Vigorously opposed. I love Brother Rick's words. They're so rich and, and smart. I have some other words. Let me, let me tell you the picture it painted for me. A toddler at the table. Anybody have any experience trying to feed a toddler something they don't want? Come on, have you ever been there before? Either with your own or a grandchild. You know what I'm talking about, right? You think back on when that child, toddler, even younger, and maybe they're just starting on some solid foods and you're experimenting because that's all it is at this point. You are seeing what they'll eat and what they won't. And every one of us have some experience with trying to shove a spoonful of some green mushy something into a baby's mouth. And when they don't like it, they are not polite about it. When they don't want it, they parateiomai. They turn. Have you ever seen that face? No. Mm. They reject it. They are vigorous about their refusal of it. They don't want anything to do with it. And even if you kind of maybe get some of it in their mouth, watch out. You about to be wearing some of it because it's coming right back on you. Why? They don't want this stuff. They don't want anything to do with it. And I'm going to say something to you right now that I've never said in a message before. But we need to be a little more like toddlers at the table when it comes to some of this stuff. Some words that we don't need to be feeding on. We need to be a little more vigorous in our rejection of some of it. We need to be a little more perioteiomai about, no, I'm not having that. I don't want that. The same way when you look at two foods... One that you know will strengthen you. One that you know will do absolutely no good for you. If you'd be more parateomai, more aggressive, more vigorous about, I don't want this. Why? It's not doing anything good for me. I want this pile of green. I, I want what's good for me because I know what it'll do for me. We're going to have to take this same approach with some of these words that we feed on. What are we talking about? We're talking about where we get strength to finish strong. It has a lot to do with what we are feeding on. So here's the question. How do we know what we should be eating and what we should be rejecting? How do we know? How do we figure it out? Because even with natural food, sometimes it can be difficult to tell. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes You think you know, but you find out later, man, that didn't do me any good at all. The same thing's true with some of these words. Now, if you go back to what Paul said to Timothy here in verse 7, some of these things, he made it very clear. He said, you need to be rejecting 
profane things, just meaning ungodly. And he also said, you need to be rejecting old wives' tales. What's that about? Well, I mean, you could do a study on all these words, but basically made up stuff. Stuff that people have made up specifically about God that has no foundation in the word. You could say it like this. It has no nutritional value. Things that people believe, people the world over, that tradition and religious tradition have taught them about God and they believe it. They take big old bites out of it and swallow the whole thing. And it's doing nothing for them. No nutritional value, no strength, no satisfaction, no energy, can't sustain them. And yet it's, they're eating that. Now we know that this is what the world has to offer. And I know you're seeing the same stuff I'm seeing, but it seems to me that everything coming out of this world, this godless, ungodly world is, is trying to top itself in profanity. Has anybody else noticed that yet? That what profane was a decade ago is no longer profane enough. We need to profane it some more. And it's getting more and more and more so. And this world is, is so quick and so able to provide every one of us with plenty of old wives' tales, made-up stuff, stories, fiction, call it all entertainment. And yeah, we do need to be discerning about how much of that junk we're feeding on. Not one amen. Amen. You need to be watchful over what comes into your living room through the television. What gets into your eyes and ears through your phone, your tablet, your computer. We need to be more discerning about that stuff. Some of that stuff that you and I have fed on, we need to be toddlers at the table with some of that. No, I'm done eating that. I'm not having that. And we know that That's, that should be more obvious to us. But there are some things, church, that are packaged as godly, packaged as quote unquote Christian, that we're going to have to be very discerning over whether or not we eat on that, feed on that. We need to find out how do we know? Have you ever experienced this before when you're shopping and they've, they've got that box just dressed up and it just looks healthy and it looks good for you and they've even got health in the title? And so much of that stuff, if you just bought it based on the box, you'd think you were eating good for you stuff. Ask me how I know this. I know this because I married a woman who reads the back of the box and has helped her her uh, husband and her children understand. You see this giant list of ingredients in this? This is not good for you. That's not good for you. This is doing nothing for you. That feeds junk. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Yeah, but the box says fresh and healthy. We're going to have to be more discerning. And the same thing's true, especially with the words that we feed on. We got to find out what is this word doing for me? Is it strengthening me or is it doing nothing for my strength? Is it energizing me or will it cause me to crash? Are you with me? You were there in John four. Go back there with me. Look at at, uh, John chapter three, just one chapter before that. We'll move quickly through some of this. I want to get to something important today. John chapter three, you know, this account, this is when uh, Nicodemus who was a Pharisee, came to Jesus. And he said to him in John 3, 2, he said, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do the signs you do unless God's with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time and do his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said in verse five, assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, somebody say the spirit, Spirit. unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now listen to these words in verse six. This is so important. Jesus said that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is Spirit. spirit. 
Now, Jesus said to this man, you have to be born again. Being born again is a spirit concept. It's a concept that comes out of the spirit. And it's a concept that if it's going to be understood, has to be understood in the spirit. Jesus was speaking by the Spirit, speaking in the Spirit to Nicodemus. And he said, you must be born again. But Nicodemus said, how can you be born again? And notice where his mind went. Can a man, when he's old, enter his mother's womb? And Jesus said, ooh. I mean, that's not recorded, but he's got to be thinking that, right? Come on, man. No. What? No. Come on, try to keep up, Nicodemus. No, no, no. That is not what I'm talking about. Come on, help me out. What's happening here? Jesus is speaking spirit. Nicodemus is understanding flesh. And that's why Jesus said, whatever's born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever's born of the spirit is spirit. If you are going to understand any of the words of Jesus, the word of God, if they're going to do anything for you, you have to be born again, you have to be in the Spirit to hear from the Spirit. Now, even though Jesus and Nicodemus are standing there speaking the same language to one another, in some ways they're they're not communicating at all. In some ways they're speaking totally different languages. Spirit is a language. Flesh is another language. And this is why Nicodemus is going, how, what? I don't get it. I don't get it. And Jesus says, well, if you want to get it, You have to be born again of the Spirit. In chapter 4, where we began earlier, Jesus is at the well. And when this woman comes to the well, he said in verse 7, Give me a drink. We know this. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew... The gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? What's going on here? Jesus is speaking spirit. This woman is hearing two different languages, right? Living water is a spiritual concept. But yet when Jesus is talking to her about this concept and when he said, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for some water and I would give you living water. And the only thing she can imagine is what, what you ain't got no bucket. This well's deep. And if you could give me that, why are you asking for uh, me for a drink? She can't get out of the flesh. She said in verse 12, are you greater than our father, Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and livestock, which is kind of funny to me because the answer is what? Yeah, actually. (laughs) Thanks for asking. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water, this flesh, this natural stuff, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But that water will give him, that I give him, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or come here to draw. (laughs) You can still see there's a breakdown in the communication. These are spirit words that Jesus is speaking to this woman. But are they doing her any good? Not yet. Why? She's in the flesh. She's hearing, understanding, comprehending in the flesh. Her level of comprehension is completely limited to the flesh. Jesus is speaking spirit. She's hearing flesh. And this is when he said to her, go call your husband. Come here. She said, I don't have one. He said, you've had five. The one you got now is not your husband. She said, I perceive you're a prophet. Next thing she wants to go into verse 20 is all the legalities of worship. Let's not talk about me and my adultery and all. Let's talk about worship. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. She wants to argue with him about worship, how to worship, where to worship. 
And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship. Salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father. How? In spirit. In spirit. She's wanting to argue about worship, but in her mind, worship is what? Location, location, location. You say it's there, we say it's on this mountain. You say it's in this city, we say it's this way, got to be done here, got to be done like that. Her concept of worship doesn't make it beyond the flesh, beyond location, thinking that this is what makes worship pleasing to God. And Jesus said, hey, look, the hour's coming. As a matter of fact, it's right now that God is looking for true worshipers who will worship him how? In spirit, spirit. And notice what goes with spirit, truth. In spirit, truth. What did Paul tell Timothy? You're supposed to be rejecting profane things and lies, lies. We are supposed to be like toddlers at the table when somebody tries to feed us a lie. Reject it, refuse it, vigorously turn away from it. What goes with spirit is truth, honesty, authenticity. He said, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now turn the page over to John chapter six. Let me give you one more example of this. We're we're trying to find here, identify what should we be feeding on? What should we not be feeding on? When it comes to the words we're hearing, what kind of nutritional value, what are they doing for us? In John chapter six, in the first 14 verses of this chapter is where Jesus feeds miraculously the 5,000 and he feeds them a natural meal. You know, the, the bread, the fish, gave thanks for it, broke it, everybody ate, they were full, they were satisfied. You skip down a few verses and you see where that big crowd of people who Jesus fed they go looking for him. They can't find him. And finally, they, they, they come to him in verse 25. They found him on the other side of the sea. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus, verse 26, man, he called him on it. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. What are we talking about here? We're talking about food. He says, you're looking for me because I gave you a free meal. But he said in verse 27, don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the son of man will give you because God the father has set his seal on him. This is a hilarious conversation to me because they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? So connect the dots here, what's happening. Jesus fed these people. Every one of them got a miracle meal and it was free. And it was probably the best, best fish and cracker they'd ever had in their entire life. They ate to the full, they were satisfied, there was plenty left over. And the next day comes and they look around at each other and they think, I'm hungry again. Where's that guy? Where's that one who, who did that thing with the fish and that thing with the bread? Has anybody got a Trisket? Because all you got to do is show up with a fish and a little cracker and all of us can eat for free. We're just going to follow him around and he'll provide food for us. And Jesus called him on it, didn't he? You're not looking for me because of the sign. You're looking for me because you ate. And he said, you do not need to be laboring for the food that perishes. You need to be laboring for the food that will minister everlasting life to you. And when he basically said to him, I'm not breaking any more bread today. You know what they said? What must we do to work the works of God? In other words, teach us to do that thing you did with the, and the, and the fish and the, you know, we, if you're not going to do it for us, at least show us how to do it. They said, what do we do to work the works of God? And Jesus said, gave them another answer they didn't want to hear. Verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So they said in verse 30, this is funny to me. What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? 
what work will you do? They didn't even let him answer. Listen to what they said in the next verse. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So he's saying to them, your work is to believe that I'm sent from God. And they say, okay, you want us to believe in you. Well, um, 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 you do a sign that we can believe. What sign should you do? Hmm, here, let me think about what sign. Oh, I know. God fed our father's manna in the dead. Maybe you could do something with some food. <laughs> These people are trying so hard to get a free meal out of this man. And he said to them, this is where it gets rough. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Does this not sound like the woman at the well? I'll take that water. That sounds great. Water that makes me never thirst again. I, gotta, I can be done coming to this well. They're saying the same thing to him. Come on, help me out. He's speaking spirit. They're hearing. Is it possible that this same breakdown in communication is happening today between God and his people? That he's speaking, into, speaking to them by the spirit and they're hearing in the flesh and it's doing nothing for them? happening every day. They said, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And man, this messed with these people. It says in verse 41, they began to complain about him because he said, I'm the bread which came from heaven. But Jesus, he didn't try to fix it. He didn't try to help them understand any better. Actually, he went on and made it worse. He said in verse 48, yeah, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, what bread's he talking about? Him. If anyone eats this bread, I, uh, uh, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh. Now, if you're trying to understand this spiritual concept in the flesh, you're going to run into some major problems. He said, it's my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. In verse 52, these Jews quarreled. This started a fight among them. And they said to themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Come on, help me. What's happening? He's speaking. They're hearing. And this is freaking them out. This man who they've been tracking down for the last 24 hours, seeking him hard, looking for him. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Now, all of a sudden, they're fighting over his words. How can he give us his flesh to eat? And again, Jesus doesn't try to explain, doesn't try to help make sense out of it, just makes it worse. Verse 53, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man, and as if that wasn't bad enough, he goes on to say, and drink his blood. Can you just imagine being in that crowd that day and hearing this man tell you that you've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. That's what he said. And he said, if you, don't, if you don't eat my flesh, if you don't drink my blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. Jesus, do you have to say it so many times? 
Can you imagine just being one of the disciples? It's like, man, look, we love you. We're on your side, but is, can we work on the phraseology? Can we, can we figure out a different way to preach this message? And what is Jesus saying? No. What did he say over and over? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. No effort to try to make people understand. He who, verse 56, eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, he who, listen to these words, feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Now, in verse 60, you do not hear a bunch of amens go across the crowd. What you see is, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? In other words, if you're stuck in the flesh, this will never make sense to you. If you never make it beyond the boundaries of a flesh understanding, then spiritual concepts will never feed you. They'll never do anything for you. This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before? Verse 63. This is what I've wanted to get to all morning. Listen to this. Verse 63. It is the spirit. It's the spirit who gives life. The King James Bible says it like this. It's the spirit that quickens. How do we know what we're supposed to be feeding on? There's a lot of word out there. And you and I in the day and age we live in have more access to more teaching, preaching, more word than anybody else in the history of the world has ever had before. You can be listening to a different preacher night and day. They're all out there. There are so many different, it's like a word buffet. But you and I have to know. We have to be able to discern what words we're supposed to be feeding on. The same way we need to be able to discern what natural food is going to do for my body. I'm going to eat this because it does this for me. I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to refuse it, reject it. And if it even crosses my lips, I might spit it right out because I know it's doing nothing for me. Now, I know we ain't all doing that with food. Let me back up. I know I'm not doing that like I should be with food, but I know I would be maybe healthier, maybe stronger than I am right now. If I would just do that with natural food, eat what I know nourishes, strengthens, satisfies, and not eat what I know weakens and causes me to crash in energy and so on. How much more so with the words, with these words that have the ability to nourish us up? What words do we feed on? What words do we reject? Here's what we're looking for right here. Verse 63, it's the spirit that quickens. It's the spirit that gives life, the flesh, profits. How much? Nothing. Nothing. Now listen to what he said. The words, the words, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. What are we looking for? When we're discerning what words we should be feeding on, this is what we're looking for right here, that quickening. We're looking for a word that does something on the inside, that quickens us on the inside. That word quicken means to make alive, to minister life to us. Do you know that, the, that it's possible to sit in church for 40 years and never hear a word that quickens you? Oh, you might hear a word that makes you go, hmm, interesting. You might hear a word that makes you maybe feel bad about some choices you've made. And oh yeah, I should probably not do that anymore. You can hear all kinds of things and you can sit in church week after week, year after year, decade after decade, 
but never hear something that quickens you on the inside. This is what you're looking for, church. You're looking for a word that ministers life to you. This is how you know what you can feed on. What did Paul say to Timothy? Nourished up, not just in words, words of faith. Oh, come on. This is, this is where we come in right here. You and I need to be feeding on words of faith. Not words that make us question, not words that make us doubt, not words that cause us to give in to that pressure to stop trusting God. No, we need words that feed the faith. We need words that that keep us in the fight, that strengthen us to run the race, that cause us to stay in it, not bow out of it. Come on, are you hearing me? This is what you got to be feeding on. Now, I want you to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and, and look again at what Paul said to him. And notice this. He said, if you instruct the brethren, verse six, in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith. The Amplified says, ever nourishing your own self. The Good News Translation says, if you give these instructions to believers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus as you feed yourself spiritually on the words of faith and the true teaching that you've heard. As you feed who? Yourself. Feed yourself. Yes, you need men and women of God. Yes, you need ministry gifts to preach the word to you. And yes, you need to be coming to church because that's what this is about. Man, I've got it in my heart. As we get into the next year, I might preach a series of messages to you called Why Church? That's a good question, isn't it? I mean, we do it, but why? This is one of the big reasons right here. Because when you find the church, the one that God's called you to be in and planted you in, how do I know if it's this church or that one? Listen to what it does on the inside. How do I I know if I'm supposed to be hearing that word or this word? You look for the quickening. You look for the words of faith that stir you up. You look for that quickening of the spirit on the inside of you. This is what you and I are supposed to be feeding on. Words that quicken, quicken, quicken. Words that come up out of the Spirit. You want words out of His Spirit, not words out of my head, church. You know that, right? Why church? Because it feeds you. It feeds you. It feeds you. Yes, we need these preachers. Yes, we need these teachers. Yes, we need to be coming to church. But look, in one sense, you're a toddler at the table rejecting lies. But in another sense, we got to be grown up enough to feed ourselves. Feed ourselves. This is why we have you read a chapter out of your Bible every day, Monday through Friday. Do you realize with just a couple of weeks left in this year, if you've gone through that whole thing with us, then you will have read the entire New Testament through in 2022. What happened all year? You got fed. You were feeding yourself and feeding yourself and feeding yourself. There are some things you need to be grown up enough to know. I'm going to feed myself this, not that. I'm going to feed on words that quicken me, words that come up out of the spirit of God, not words that cause me to doubt, not words that cause me to question. They're out there. There's a whole smorgasbord of words out there that you could be feeding on. But you got to have enough spiritual sense to know and to recognize these words will do something for me these words won't. Amen? Now, what was Jesus talking about? He said it over and over, eat my flesh, drink my blood. But when all those people decided to leave him just because he was speaking spirit and all they could do was understand in the flesh, do you notice he didn't chase them down and say, wait, 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 here's what I'm talking about. In a couple of thousand years from now, what I mean is you will receive what's called communion. And you're going to pass out these little cups of juice and everybody's going to get one of these little crackers and the cracker will represent my body and the juice will represent. He doesn't explain any of that to them. It has to be spiritually received. What you and I have the luxury of now though is the spiritual revelation of what he was talking about. That's why we're going to receive communion together this morning before we leave. So ushers, would you help me go ahead and begin to prepare that? We ready for that? Go ahead. Go ahead and just begin to pass that out. Sarah, would you come up here and join me too? Uh, Musicians, you guys can come. We're going to do this together this morning because this is one of the ways we feed ourselves. Communion. 
eating of his flesh, drinking of his blood. Was he talking about his literal flesh? No. Was he talking about his literal blood? No, this is something to be spiritually discerned, to be spiritually understood. There's a strengthening church that comes as the result of what you and I are about to do together right now. I believe there's a quickening that comes out of this. Sarah and I have seen this so many times in our life, in our family. We've seen it with our children. I'm thinking of one time in particular, our son Justice, he was little. Jesse was brand new. I mean, she was just days old. And um, your mom and dad were at the house with us. And Justice one night started not feeling well. He's just a little guy, three years old. And it was very unusual. As a matter of fact, he'd never done this before, but he put himself to bed that night. Normally he was like your toddler. I want to stay up. I don't want to go to bed. But he put himself to bed that night and we checked his temperature. I think he was running about 103 degree fever. And we put him in bed and you and I and your mom and dad, we all gathered in the living room and we brought the communion table, the communion elements to the table. And we sat there and we received communion together, just like you and I are about to do. We received the body of the Lord Jesus broken for us. We received his blood, the blood that sealed the new covenant, spilled for us. And we prayed together that night. And I will never forget that night because the presence of God so filled our home. It was a tangible presence of the Lord. And justice the next morning woke up totally fine, totally strong. And we thought, wow, well, glory to God. Well, that, that didn't, you know, it didn't take root in him. There's no, no lasting effect. He had a fever for a couple hours and he was fine. What we found out in the next day or two was there was an outbreak of the measles in our church, in our community. And uh, somebody who had later tested positive for it and was a few people who had been around it and exposed to it and were at that point sick in bed, they had come over to see the baby, brought us food. <laughs> they cooked the food for us. We ate it. He ate it. And what we found out from our doctor was this could be potentially deadly around a newborn without the strength of the immune system to fight it off. And I know this. I know it tried to come on justice that night. Now, Sarah and I had been vaccinated, I guess, when we were little kids. And Justice at that point hadn't had any shots to inoculate against that. And I know for a fact it tried to come on him. 103 degree fever. But it got stopped. It got stopped at the communion table. Thank you, Lord. There's a strength that comes in what you and I are about to do together. Can you stand up? If you've already been served the elements, would you stand up? Thank you, sir. If you continue reading there in John chapter 6, after thousands of people turned away, walked away from Jesus, you could say it like this, did not finish their race. Jesus looked at the 12 and said, are you leaving too? You know what Peter said to him? Where would we go? Where would we go? He said, you have the words of life. In other words, Peter's saying, look, Lord, the whole eat my flesh, drink my blood thing, I don't get it. Maybe you can explain it to me, but I know this, I'm not going anywhere. I know what your words do for me. I know that when I feed on your words, they minister life to me. And when the Lord puts you in a church, and if he's put you in this church, let it be because there's a quickening in your spirit and you're feeding on words of life here. And yeah, there comes an opportunity to unhook Pressure gets applied. A fence tries to set in. But if the Lord puts you in a place because there's words there that feed you and words there that quicken you, don't be quick to unhook and go feed on something that he didn't want you feeding on. Feed on words of life. How do I know what church I'm supposed to go to? This is how you know. How do I know what teaching and preaching I'm supposed to be listening to? This is how you know words of life.
Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.